welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm still Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ina Cordiel, and those are still my pen names. <laughs> um, I want to do a short intro right now because I want to get right back into the story for chapter 29 of Alien Us. So 28 chapters have been read. If you've missed any of them, go back and get to them. Um, I noticed that someone already has listened to chapter 27, but no one has listened to chapter 26. Whoever read that? Chapter 27, man, you're missing out. Go back and get chapter 26. You'll find out what happened. <laughs> you're missing it. All right, so try to read them in order, or listen in order, or you're missing something. All right, let's get ready for chapter 29. Star Trek Enterprise Alien Us by Philippe de Lamatroc, Chapter 29 T'Pol had come to give the final report on the planet they were calling Sharu from the Jiren name for it. All evidence of human involvement had been erased, leaving only the memories of those who had actually witnessed Lieutenant Reed and Insensato. The virus had caused havoc to both Botanus's and Jiren's government computer networks and explosives had taken care of any physical evidence. Captain Archer thought Malcolm would have liked that. T'Pol reported that the combined attacks in both countries had put on hold their mutual hostilities. Boftanis did blame Jiren for provoking the aliens by trying to execute one of them, but otherwise they both recognized an alien threat that they were woefully unprepared to stop. Only Enterprise knew there would be no further attacks. Maybe the two countries would figure out it was best to get along by the time they realized that there was no invasion coming. T'Pol also suggested setting a buoy to warn passing ships of the chroniton pulse. Captain Archer agreed. Malcolm, it seemed, had become even more a mystery to him in the last hour, and the captain wanted to get someone's take on what he'd learned from Hoshi's parents. Hoshi believes Malcolm is dead and that we left him on Sharu, he told her. She's in love with him. One eyebrow on T'Pol's otherwise expressionless face rose slightly. That could explain her grief and anger. Archer stood and paced a few steps. But it doesn't explain how. Her parents thought she was with this man until the end, and that Hoshi witnessed his death. She hadn't seen Malcolm for 11 months, and the months down there are longer than ours. That is a dilemma, T'Pol commented, but one easily solved, once she is willing to communicate with us but that presents another dilemma. Archer nodded. Do we tell her he's alive on the other side of Sixth Bay only to tell her that he's died an hour or so later? Or do we wait until we are sure he will survive and tell her then? T'Pol said, supplying the other side of the dilemma. Archer fell back into his chair. Six hours. It's been six hours and he's still alive. He still had trouble believing it. Dr. Flox is giving him oxygen, she pointed out. While not sustaining his life, it is giving him a boost, as Tripp stated it. So there is a growing possibility of his survival. Which leaves us our dilemma, Archer concluded. If she were Vulcan, I would advocate telling her the truth, T'Pol stated. As she is not, I fear for her emotional and mental state were she to be told he was alive only to have him die after all, doubling her grief. Add the post-traumatic stress disorder, Archer said, and her sanity might be in doubt. What if we only told her we hadn't left him behind? We risk her trust in her parents who shared what she revealed in confidence, and Insensato would likely insist on seeing him. 
Archer let out a long breath. So we don't tell her until we know either way. Malcolm twitched. Tripp nearly jumped out of the chair. Doc! Malcolm kept flinching, his jaw clenched and his face grimaced. Flox came over. Is he seizing again? Tripp asked, fearing that was the case. Flox checked Malcolm's vitals. I think he's remembering, he said solemnly, on a subconscious level. Tripp's tired eyes went wide. That's good! Flox opened one of Malcolm's eyes and shined a light into it. Depends on how you look at it. A sign of recovery, yes. Tilting more in the direction of survival. But for him, he's reliving it. Those aren't good memories, Commander. And he can't just wake up. He's still unconscious. Tripp's elation fell, and he remembered times when he was traumatized, like when his sister was killed. His mind could think one thing, and his body would feel or do something else. His hands would shake when she, he wasn't even thinking about her. He'd tell himself he had work to do, and that he could control his hands. But he couldn't. They just kept shaking. Maybe it was like that for Malcolm, only backwards. Can you help him sleep? Too risky at this point. Phlox tilted Malcolm's head to the side. No sunburn here, he said. He took some tape and taped down the tube that ran under Malcolm's nose and past his ears. Wouldn't want this to come loose. Keep reading or talk to him. You may reach him yet. Tripp nodded and then failed to suppress a deep yawn. Or perhaps you need a break, Flock suggested. Just then the doors to sickbay opened and T'Pol joined them at Malcolm's bed. Her left eyebrow raised when she took in the twitching, grimacing Malcolm Reed. Perhaps I can sit with him for a while, she suggested. Flock smiled. Perhaps you can do more than that. You think he would benefit from a mind melt? She asked. It is possible you could let him know he's safe, Flox replied. Tripp held his breath. She didn't feel comfortable with mind melds, but he hoped she'd agree. Maybe she could help him wake up. She stepped closer to the bed. She took a deep breath and placed her fingers gently on Malcolm's face. She closed her eyes. My mind to your mind. Your mind to my mind. Tripp waited anxiously. Then she gasped. The pain, the horror, the fear were so strong that they hit her like a tidal wave. She was the one being staked in the desert sun. It took all her effort to push past these memories to seek the unconscious mind of Malcolm Reed. The horror subsided and the memories flitted across her, his, her mind. A console flickering to life with controls reading Audio 1 and Audio 2. Hoshi's voice whispering in his ear as they held hands, comforting each other. A voice meeting his in an empty room. Deeper, past the memories, and then everything went black and silent. She tried calling out to him. Her voice echoed as if in a cavern. There was no answer. T'Pol pulled back, trying to focus on those memories of Hoshi, wrapped in sheets, her face dipped behind her hair, the softest of whispers, the tapping of Morse code in each other's hands, the strange console, Hoshi's voice. She saw them felt these memories, and she felt the physical body of Malcolm Reed as it calmed. The images became clearer, the snatches of moments longer, and she realized how Hoshi had grown to love him and how he had loved her back, and why Hoshi thought he was dead. She broke contact and was gratified to see Lieutenant Reed lying calmly in the bed. 
I helped him find better memories, she said, but he's still lost. No thought, no consciousness. Trip touched her cheek. You're crying. T'Pol took a deep breath to steady herself and release Malcolm's emotions from her. Hoshi believes he is dead, she told them. She believes that because he told her goodbye. Trip shook his head in confusion, but they weren't anywhere near each other. T'Pol felt more centered, more herself. No, she agreed. They weren't. She turned to Flox. Doctor, may I speak with you privately? Of course, Flox replied. He led her to his office. Is it possible for humans to be telepathic? That took the doctor by surprise. Telepathic? he repeated. Well, yes, theoretically, and there have been some cases of humans who claim to be psychic or even telekinetic, though they are rare and mostly unsubstantiated. Are you suggesting Hoshi is a telepath? T'Pol nodded, or Lieutenant Reed. One or both of them must be. The Ensign has proven receptive to telepathic communication in the past. While Lieutenant Reed has not, Phlox pointed out. And yet, T'Pol said, I found something to suggest that he is. Another flicker of shared memory came to mind. Tripp's voice. We're not there yet. At least on a subconscious level, he knows about the time travel. Phlox was silent for a moment. So he would be the telepath? They spoke often, even at the end, she said. They discussed her plan. Her plan to kill herself. Phlox gave a humph. That explains a lot. She's grieving. We could tell her he's alive. Will he remain so, she countered. And would she believe us anyway? She may rely upon that telepathic link. She would trust him more than us. In her mind, we left them on that planet. She let him ponder the dilemma for a moment. The captain had decided that we should not tell her until his fate is decided. And doctor, unless either of them confirms this, this is only a hypothesis at this time. If it is correct, I do not believe Mr. Reed would wish it widely known. Flox nodded. No. No, he likely would not. Malcolm was nothing but blackness. He had no thoughts, no conceptions, no realizations. His body breathed, his heart pumped. But he was unaware, floating in nothingness that he might have thought was death, if he could think. He was nothing. But after three days, there was a prickling at the edges of him. It intensified and deepened until it was at his center. Pain. Not so much a conscious thought, but a subconscious realization. Outwardly, he tensed, and his brows pulled down slightly over his eyes. A machine he didn't hear beeped a little faster with his pulse. An hour or so later, what was time to him? He realized the pain was in his chest and in his hands. An image crashed in him, a long metal stake pressing into his wrist, pain searing through his arm like an unending electric shock. His own scream deafened him. His breath hitched, and his fingers twitched slightly as Trip held his hand. For hours, he relived what he didn't realize was behind him. Flashes of the last year warred with the torment of his last day and a half, until finally, to escape it all, he opened his eyes. The desert disappeared. The glaring lights and sounds of the lab did not. The machine was beeping above his head, keeping him alive again. He was alive. He blinked. Saruman approached his bed and Malcolm stopped breathing. 
A hand reached for his face from the other side. It turned his head until he saw a familiar face. A human face. Trip. Malcolm opened his mouth, but he had no breath to speak. He pulled in a painful breath and asked, in a hoarse whisper, Where are we? Trip touched Malcolm's arm. We're in sickbay. Malcolm pulled his arm away with a jerk. Another breath seared his chest. Where? The ship? He was afraid of the answer. We're not there yet, Malcolm remembered Tripp saying. Malcolm, we haven't left. Not yet. We're right where you were before the shuttle pod crashed. Crashed? Nearly forgotten memories forced themselves into his mind. Pain in his head and arm. Hoshi holding her side. Moody, broken and disemboweled at the rear of the shuttle pod. But so much time had passed. It didn't make sense. Still, it wasn't the dreams that he had withheld from Hoshi. The ones from the past. And with that realization came another. Hoshi. Hoshi, he breathed out loud. She's here, Tripp told him. We got her. She's okay. But Malcolm had heard her voice in his head like before. Malcolm, she called. With a jolt, he saw through her eyes. Bandaged, she was struggling from her bed. He pulled in another breath. No, he told Trip. She's not. Trip's expression showed confusion, but Malcolm couldn't be bothered with that. Not now. She was near. She was alive. She was in pain. Help her. There was a crash sound across the room. She'd fallen. Trip stood up and rushed over to see her. Malcolm's eyelids were heavy, but he forced them open. Finally, she was there. Her hair was longer, her face bruised. Lox was holding her up, but she reached for him with her good arm. Tripp came back and pulled his chair over for her as Phlox lowered her into it. And then she was beside him, and he forgot about Phlox and Tripp, about the pain, the sounds around them. It was only her face, her voice, her touch. She said goodbye. I thought I had died. It took so much less effort. I couldn't hear you anymore. She touched his face as he lifted his hand to hold hers. His fingers wouldn't work right, but hers did, and she pulled his hand to her face as she cried. After a moment, her voice came back to his mind. I must look terrible. No, he reassured her. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. I love you. She began to cry again. The heaviness returned to his eyes, and he cursed it. I love you, Hoshisato. I... His thought broke. Her face began to fade, but not her hand. Not yet. She made an audible sound, but he heard Phlox assure her. He just needs to rest. Then the tiredness was engulfing him, and it was too hard to resist. The last thing he realized before the darkness covered him was her face lightly touching his, her hair brushing against his cheek. Trip had stepped back to give them the privacy they obviously wanted. Hoshi still didn't speak, but neither did Malcolm even try. But the way they acted made it very clear that they cared for each other very deeply. He met T'Pol at the counter as Phlox went to assure Hoshi that Malcolm was just going under thanks to his pain meds. He pulled back the curtain and helped her into the next bed over. "'What just happened?' he asked T'Pol. "'To what are you referring?' 
To her knowing to come over, he replied, to him knowing she was hurt, to both of them not saying a word. It is not for me to say, to Paul said. I should prepare a presentation to explain the chroniton pulse and our tardiness in retrieving them from the planet. She turned and left sickbay. She knew something. She probably got something in the mind meld to clue her in. She hadn't told him anything then either, but she had talked to flocks. Tripp thought about guilting him, but the doctor was busy getting Hoshi settled in the new bed and examining Malcolm. Tripp sighed and decided he should give the captain the news that Malcolm had woken up. The captain was on the bridge. So was Travis and Carstairs and one of Malcolm's tactical officers. They all looked up at him intently. They all knew he was going to stay with Malcolm until he passed. Tripp decided to put them all at ease. He woke up. He even asked where the ship was. Travis cheered. A few of the others clapped. Archer stood up. That's great news, Tripp. He motioned the younger man toward his ready room. Tripp followed. Tripp waited until the door was closed. It was the darndest thing. He barely breathed Hoshi, and she nearly fell out of the, her bed to get to him, and neither one of them said a word to each other. They held hands, touched each other's faces, but not a word. Archer sighed. She loves him. She told her parents that the man she loved had died. She met Malcolm. She was grieving for him. Makes sense now, Tripp said. But how? They were on opposite sides of the planet. You'd think they'd have a lot to talk about. Archer shook his head. I don't get it either. But I think he must love her too. Save Hoshi, he said in the message. That was important to him. And he asked about her when we found him, Tripp admitted. Twice. Once in the sand and once in the ship just before he... He stopped. He hated that memory. They were together after the crash, Archer suggested. Maybe it happened then. Is Flock certain then? Is he out of danger? He was busy, Tripp replied, taking a seat. But I think, realistically, Malcolm's condition didn't magically improve just because he woke up. He sighed. I suppose it's just more likely now that he'll keep surviving, and he can have a say in whether or not to use life support. Archer nodded. I really should give his parents a call. You'd think I'd be looking forward to it. Better you than me, Tripp said. I'm not sure I could keep my temper in check. Maybe I should see Malcolm first, Archer stated, standing. He may want to talk to them. No good, Tripp responded. Malcolm's out again. Pain meds. You're stuck with the parents. Archer fell back into his seat. He took a big breath, then reached for his communications console. Tell Travis to get underway. Tripp suddenly yawned hard and long. And then get some sleep, Tripp. Archer nodded. That's an order. Tripp looked well-rested the next morning. Malcolm's awakening had probably made that easier for him, Archer guessed. It confirmed his hope that Malcolm would survive. And while it did that for Archer himself, it didn't alleviate his anxiety enough to allow for a restful sleep. Because this morning, he would be explaining to Malcolm and Hoshi why they had been seemingly left to suffer those long months on Sharu. At least he didn't have to face their glares alone. Hoshi's was alert and fierce. Malcolm's was sleepier but discernible. They were angry, and, from their point of view, they had every right to be. Malcolm looked better. His skin was still burnt and pale, an odd combination, but the fact that he could tense muscles that had been limp and loose before gave his face a healthier look. Hoshi looked a lot better. 
Gone were the tears and that mask of grief. She'd combed her hair and cleaned herself up. For, Mal for Malcolm, he assumed. Not for them. T'Pol stood beside Archer, ready to explain the technical details. Archer, though, tried to start with some very sincere pleasantries. I'm so glad to see you awake, Malcolm. And Hoshi, we're all glad you're willing to communicate. We have a lot to explain. Malcolm took a few difficult and apparently painful breaths. Why did you leave us? His voice was rough and only a few shades above a whisper. Hoshi squeezed his arm but kept her glare squarely on the captain. Archer took a steadying breath. Can I first ask you about Lieutenant Moody? Did he survive the crash? Hoshi shook her head after a moment. Archer sensed she had more to say about that, but he decided it could wait until they were stronger. Thank you. Malcolm, Hoshi, we never left. A few minutes after the shuttle pod left, it disappeared. It took us a few hours to realize what had happened, but we never left. T'Pol? T'Pol stepped forward with a pad. The shuttle pod encountered a chroniton pulse. She pulled up a graph on the pad. The pulse had many of the same characteristics as the energy emanating from Crewman Daniel's quarters. The shuttle pod likely lost control and crashed on the surface of the planet. But it did so approximately one year before it left the ship. She pulled up a graphic showing the projected arc of the shuttle pod trajectory with timestamps showing its descent into the past. How? <sighs> Malcolm breathed. He looked like he'd seen a ghost. Hoshi frowned and reached for the pad. The chroniton energy dissipated as you went, Malcolm, Tripp explained. The further you got from the point of contact with the pulse, the further back you went. That's when I realized the voice in the message was yours, Malcolm. The Morse code said, save Hoshi. The glares were gone. In their places were stricken, horror-filled expressions. I did, Malcolm started. Archer cut him off. This was not your fault, Malcolm. That message came when you were standing on the bridge. However it happened, it happened. You couldn't have known. If anyone is to blame, it's me. If I had waited until we had more information... T'Pol interrupted him. Then they may have waited even longer for rescue, Captain. It is a paradox. If you didn't order the shuttle pod to retrieve the messenger, there would have been no message. But there was a message. It had already happened. Archer sighed. He'd been over and over that paradox. The end result is this. Although you experienced a year on that planet, you were only absent from the ship for a few days. When you crashed, we were still looking for the Zindi weapon. We weren't here to get you back. Hoshi closed the information on the pad, then wrote something on it and held it out to them. Tripp took it and read it out loud. Why not rescue us as soon as you knew? Archer sighed again. First, we had to find you. And we had to know we could get you out safely. I could not risk anyone else getting hit by that pulse. We found Lieutenant Reed first, T'Pol added. I devised a virus to remove all computer records of your existence. I worked on a plan to get you out and destroy the physical evidence, Tripp jumped in. You were harder to find, Hoshi. We figured you were separated, but we didn't know where they'd sent you until almost the last minute. Once we realized what they were doing to Malcolm, we knew we had to go. 
Malcolm, it might make you feel a bit bitter to know we blew up about half that bat lap. And the one in Buftanis, Hoshi, Archer added. I'm sorry we couldn't get you sooner. I really am. We almost lost both of you. We lost Moody, but at least he didn't have to endure what you both went through. It's a lot to take in. We'll leave the pad if you have any more questions. A lot to take in was an understatement, Malcolm thought. A year that lasted only a few days? The horrific last few days since he sent that message with the communicator? The message that got Beiju killed? If he hadn't done it, would they have even crashed? I don't know what to feel, Hoshi thought to him. I still feel angry, but I feel guilty for feeling it. I had dreams, he admitted to her now. Recurring dreams. I was here on Enterprise at different times in the past. Someone always said, we're not there yet, Malcolm. It nearly drove me mad. Did I know somehow? Did you know we could do this? She asked. Share our thoughts, our senses? Never in my wildest dreams. But it was there, she argued gently. The ability. Maybe you had a subconscious sense of it. That we weren't in the right time. So I'm psychic too? Would it have changed anything for us? She asked as she softly stroked his face. Knowing? Would it have been any different? That was the question, Malcolm realized. And how did it change things now that they knew for real? Tripp was able to sleep again that night. But before he slept, he spent a lot of time thinking about Malcolm and Hoshi, about what they might feel like now that they knew. They had not really even shown that they were happy to be rescued, but he figured that was there somewhere. They were extremely happy to be together. That much was obvious. But the anger was gone, or at least muddled, with the realization that there had been no hope when they had hoped, and only hope when they had none left. How long had it taken for that hope to die? And what had given Malcolm just enough to transmit it in the message? There was so much left to, of their stories, but there was one thing that Tripp was really curious about, and he decided to ask Malcolm about it the next day. Hoshi felt she was in a tornado of emotions, and some of them didn't fit anymore. Enterprise hadn't left them behind, but she couldn't let go of the anger and feelings of betrayal, though she tried. Seeing Malcolm awake and alive flooded her with relief and joy. Being near him, touching him, was a luxury she had given up believing she'd ever have again. She didn't want to die anymore. She wanted to dance, to lay beside him, and to take some of his pain on herself. He looked terrible and often dropped into unconsciousness, but he was alive, and that he was there beside her made him the most glorious thing she had ever seen. Hope rekindled in her. Hope that he would get better and that they'd have a life together going forward. She never wanted to be apart from him again. He was sleeping now, and she was left alone to the lights and sounds of sickbay. They were familiar, and she tried to draw comfort from that. But she felt a fear building in her now. She slept, but in her dreams, Radagast was coming for her and taking her back to the operating room in Jiren. She could hear the doctors as they discussed her anatomy and feel the pain of every incision. She could not scream, and she could not wake herself up. Hoshi, a familiar voice interrupted the doctors. 
come with me. She trusted that voice and the pain left her. The doctors left her. She found herself standing in a near barren landscape, mostly sand with a few bits of shallow scrub. It's the best I could do, Malcolm said. It's not the lab and not Enterprise. It's before things got really bad. He looked wonderful. There was a gash on his forehead and his arm was in a sling, but he was clean-shaven and otherwise healthy. I like it here, she told him. You're here. I'll stay as long as I can, he said. I want you to have good dreams. Captain Archer found himself feeling sorry for Malcolm again. He had contacted Mr. and Mrs. Reed again and found them less than enthusiastic for their son's survival. They even questioned if their wishes had been followed. Archer tried to remain diplomatic, but it was hard. We did remove him from life support, he assured them. He just didn't die. He is still in critical condition, but he is awake and communicating. He thought he saw a flicker of relief in Mrs. Reed's face. He saw no emotion at all in Stuart Reed's expression. When they didn't respond, he asked if they'd like to talk to their son. That won't be necessary, Captain, Stuart Reed said. We'll inform his sister. Good day. And the screen went blank. Archer wished they'd stop informing his sister. Hoshi had spoken with her a few years ago, and she seemed warm and, well, emotional. Archer wondered if the elder Reeds cared for their son at all. Tripp managed to see to his duties in the morning, but it was after lunch now, and he wanted to visit Malcolm. He had some questions. He was surprised to see that Hoshi wasn't in the next bed. Where's Hoshi? Tripp asked as he pulled a chair over to Malcolm's bed. Malcolm took a breath, then replied in brief, shower. Tripp was actually relieved for the opportunity to pry for a bit without Hoshi there. Malcolm, when you woke up, she knew. She'd been over there a couple of days grieving your death, apparently, with no idea you were lying here unconscious. And when she did realize and came over here, neither of you breathed a word. There's something different going on. You told us to save her. Like you knew she where she was or that she needed saving. She could have died for all you should have known, given your distance from her. Something's going on? Malcolm's face flushed a slightly deeper red, and he took in a shaky breath. They cut my head. Yeah, Tripp replied quietly. Flocks gave us the highlights. After, Malcolm said. His next words were halting and barely louder than a whisper. I thought, Hoshi, I'm glad you're not here. She answered. Tripp's eyebrows shot up at the realization. They cut your head open, and now you can communicate by thinking? Another breath. Thought I was crazy. He paused and grimaced a bit at some pain he must have felt, and Tripp felt bad about making him talk this much. But it was better than being alone. Tripp sat back. Wow. So that's how you spoke all those languages. Malcolm nodded lightly. Can you do that with anyone? Malcolm shook his head. How do you know? Tripp asked. Have you tried? Easier. Malcolm said between breaths, then talking. Oh, Tripp sighed. Yeah, I can see how that how it might be. Sorry about that. I'll try not to make you talk 
much. He decided to change the subject. There was a dead one in the room with the communicator. Beju, Malcolm replied. He sounded sad. He gave it to you? Tripp asked, and Malcolm nodded. His friend was a guard. He showed us the room and where to find you. Why'd Beju do it, do you think? It obviously didn't go over well. Wasn't my friend, Malcolm said. Tripp put a hand on Malcolm's arm. I'm glad you had one, Malcolm. And he meant it. He didn't think he could have ever come out sane from a year alone, especially one so hellish. But Malcolm had had Hoshi and this Beju, who cared enough to commit a treasonous act on Malcolm's behalf. Tripp decided a lighter topic. I've been reading The Lord of the Rings to you. Seemed fitting. I was hoping you could hear it. Malcolm shook his head, but said, You can read. Malcolm listened to the familiar story, and as he lay quietly, he could almost manage to not feel pain if he didn't breathe too deeply. But something else buzzed at the edges of his awareness, an uneasiness of place. Sickbay didn't look like any of the rooms he'd been in in the lab, but it was, among other things, a lab. And while he could log logically understand that his present location was a good thing, a step up in the universe, a long-repressed and thoroughly illogical need to be somewhere, anywhere else, was creeping in on him. Listening to the story Trip read helped him step outside his own body and self and get lost in Middle-earth for a time. That helped to keep the uneasiness at bay. And in another part of his mind, he shared with Hoshi the wonders of a warm water shower and soft towels to dry on. After an hour in which Hoshi had returned with wet hair falling down around her shoulders, Tripp cleared his throat. That's about all I can manage right now. I'll need to get back to engineering now that we're underway. Malcolm didn't want him to stop. He needed the escape the book provided. I'll take it, Hoshi said between clenched teeth. Tripp smiled as he must have figured she wouldn't read it out loud. Malcolm realized now that Tripp may, may find his abilities too interesting to keep to himself. He imagined various enterprise gawkers coming to pester him to do parlor tricks or tell them what they were thinking, or worse yet, to come and stare at him, like Beju's friend had through the window in the door. He moved a hand to block Tripp from leaving. He had to take deeper breaths in order to push words past his vocal cords, and that stirred up the pain in his chest, but it was important. I don't want to be a freak show. Tripp shook his head and placed Malcolm's arm back on the bed. I won't share your secret, Malcolm. I can't say no one else will figure it out, especially Dr. Floxer to Paul. She did a mind meld with you, after all. But I will respect your privacy. Tripp walked over and handed the book to Hoshi. You told him? Malcolm heard her think to him. He guessed, he replied. Tripp waved and then left. We were a bit too obvious, it seems. Can he hear you? No, it would seem this is a secure channel after all. T'Pol brought the lieutenant's meal as she had been since his condition had become favorable to eating solid foods. She was familiar with him enough to know that he would not feel comfortable being fed, even though he had the use of only two fingers of each hand. She realized as a Vulcan, she was the best person for the task. 
Her repressed emotions meant the lieutenant would not see any pity in her expressions or in her actions. It had helped to put him at ease. He had even asked her to bring an extra set of silverware so he could practice holding them with the fingers he could move. She had waited for him to ask her, ask her about the mine meld, but he had not once brought it up. As he finished his meal and held the cup with his drink in both hands, she decided that it was time. Are you concerned about what I saw and heard during the mind meld? Who have you told? His voice was weak, but she could sense a note of hostility nonetheless. Only Dr. Phlox, she replied. I witnessed memories, no consciousness. They were painful memories at first, but I found better, pleasant memories and sifted them out. You were unconscious, but in a troubled state. It helped to calm you. Reed, relax now. So you know how we talk. Yes, though I was uncertain as to which of you had the ability. When they cut my head, the lieutenant said, he paused for a breath. It just happened. I believe it happened before that, she told him, though perhaps in a different form. Reed took in a deeper breath and winced from the pain. He looked at Hoshi, then back to T'Pol. The dreams? T'Pol nodded. They were infuriating, Reed said, finally betraying his emotions with the rolling of his eyes. We're not there yet, Lieutenant, T'Pol recited. Reed seethed. Someone always said that. When you pleaded for us to come and rescue you both, T'Pol added. He nodded, but stayed silent. After a few minutes, he said... I didn't know. Not on a conscious level, it would seem, she confirmed for him. I do believe the captain should be informed. Of the dreams? T'Pol began to order the tray of now empty dishes. The dreams, lieutenant, are of no consequence. They change nothing. Though perhaps you could learn to trust your gut, as they say, more deeply. But I speak of your telepathy. It would answer many questions. He offered her a barely perceptible nod. But no one else. Paul nodded back. Understood. I shall leave you, she nodded toward Hoshi, to your discussions. One week had passed since he had wakened. Seven days where the monotony was only broken by the visits from Trip and having Hoshi beside him. The captain and a few others had stopped by occasionally. Some of the Makos had asked for an accounting of Moody's death. Travis had updated them on the scuttlebutt circulating the ship but no one asked him if he was spying on their thoughts or even looked at him askance. Malcolm had to admit that T'Pol and Tripp had been true to their words. Only Tripp ever asked him about his abilities, and it was getting easier, bit by bit, to trust him enough to give him real answers. And now Hoshi was leaving. She was being released to her quarters. I could stay, she told him, silently, as they were accustomed to do. I know what it's like for you here, he reminded her. I feel it, too. It's too much like where we were. It's easier together, she argued. He agreed. It is. But if you go, then one of us will be free of this place, and you can share it with me. You're sure? Tripp entered just then. Are you ready, Hoshi? He asked brightly. Doc said I could escort you to your quarters. I'm sure, he assured her. You showed me sky in the lab and snow in the desert. If we can manage that, I think we can manage a deck or two. She nodded then and turned to Trip. I'm ready, she said through her still-wired jaws. She stood, and Trip held out an arm to catch her waist. 
We can take it as slow as you need, he told her. I'll be by later, Malcolm. I'll bet you're going stir-crazy in here. Sadly, Malcolm said, and it was getting a little easier to talk. I'm quite used to that by now. Hoshi took one look back, and Malcolm gave her a smile. It wasn't easy. He knew he'd told her the truth. What was a few decks compared to half a planet? But still his heart was breaking to watch her leave. Let's stop here first, Hoshi said, indicating the door they were about to pass. Malcolm's quarters? Trip asked. I want him to see, she replied. She was getting so tired of talking through her stabilized jaws. Flock said it would only be for another week. Trip shrugged and keyed open the door. He stepped in and then lifted her through it. She only remembered being in here one other time, and it made her smile. She had stood topless in his doorway after her shirt had been snagged in the crawl space above the corridor. The look on his face was priceless, and she had to tell him to grab her a t-shirt before he could even move. Do you remember? she asked him. I did as you asked and was a proper gentleman thereafter. Yes, she admitted, admitted you were. She looked around from the neatly made bed to the perfectly ordered desk. She took a step toward the desk and Tripp helped her into the chair there. Can you see? He was silent, but she could feel that he was there. Finally, he replied, It's surreal. Nothing's changed. But it's only been a week or two, so it's perfectly reasonable that nothing's changed. And it feels like it shouldn't be the same, she said, and she realized she'd said that thought out loud. That's got to be a bit incongruous, Tripp said. He sat on the end of Malcolm's bunk. She sat for a moment with the raw, nonverbal thoughts Malcolm was going through in his mind. When he spoke, she shared his words with Tripp. It's a comfort, but also seems unreal. Like a dream, she added for herself. We'll wake up and it will all be changed. Maybe it will get better each day it doesn't, Tripp offered. Eventually you'll stop feeling like you're in the wrong time. The routines of life will become mundane, and you'll just fit. Go, Malcolm told her. You need to do this for yourself. I'm not sure I want to, she told him. He's right. Each day it doesn't wink out of existence. It will feel more solid. Go get started on that in your quarters. Thank you for showing me mine. Hoshi stood. She sighed, then said, Let's go. Tripp stood and helped her through the door back out into the corridor, and they traveled in silence until they reached her quarters. Hoshi used her good arm to key it open, and Tripp lifted her through. She led him to her bed and sat down, purposely keeping her eyes on the floor. Thank you, she said. You can go. Tripp took a step back. If you need anything, he said, let me know. Flock said there will be a nurse by regularly to check on you. Hoshi nodded, then waited for him to leave before looking up. She was glad she'd had the preview to prepare. It was indeed surreal. Her quarters were exactly as she'd left them. The reality felt more real now. They had only been gone a week. But then there were two realities now. A year ago, she had been with the crew, searching for the Zindi, and also crashing in onto Sharu with Moody and Malcolm. Her quarters spoke for the first her aches and pains and wired jaw for the second. 
She felt like two people, a copy of herself, a replacement for the original. The original left these quarters a couple of weeks ago. She never came back. She, the copy, lay down on the bed. It felt soft, familiar. She reached up for her pillow and hugged it to herself. She lay that way for nearly an hour before she abruptly put the pillows down and used the edge of the bed for support to stand. Copy or not, she had the memories of both. If the original Hoshisato wasn't coming back, then these quarters belonged to her, the copy. And maybe Malcolm was right. Maybe each day would get better. Maybe she and her former self would finally be just the one person again. Besides, this Hoshisato had Malcolm. And as awful as the last year had been, she would be hard-pressed to trade that. The Hoshi before might not have ever realized that she loved him. Okay, we are so close to the end now. I'm going to try and combine summary with commentary to get through it faster. Okay, so in the very first uh, scene of chapter 9, T'Pol gives Archer the final report on Sharu and the, you know, things there went well. So um, they also discuss that, um, well, Archer brings it up, that Hoshi believes Malcolm is dead and that we left them behind on Sharu and that she's in love with him. That comes from Hoshi's parents. And T'Pol realizes that could explain her grief and anger. But they have a dilemma. Do they tell Hoshi that Malcolm is dead when he, or alive, when he might die any minute? <laughs> or do they wait and tell him, tell her after either he dies or lives? If they, you know, DePaul kind of works it out logically. If they tell her now, she, you know, and then Malcolm dies, that could tip her over into, you know, really bad mental, emotional state. If they wait and he dies, let's see, this, what's the other one? Um, oh, while they're discussing this, uh, also, Archer points out that Malcolm has been alive six hours since they pulled the plug. So, you know, it's been six hours and he's still alive. And Paul points out that uh, Phlox is giving him oxygen. It's not life support, but it's kind of giving him a, a boost, as Tripp stated it. So it does maybe point more to the possibility of him surviving, which leaves us with leave the leaves them with the dilemma. Paul thinks if she was a Vulcan, they would go ahead and tell her now, but she's not, and she's not in a good emotional state, and this could make things worse. So if they tell her just that he was not left behind, they risk her losing trust in her parents for telling them. Um, in the next scene, Malcolm starts twitching and making expressions on his face, and he's kind of in a subconscious way. He's not awake. He's not about to awaken. He's still kind of unconscious, but he's having these memories, and Tripp's voice is kind of wearing out. So T'Pol thinks, you know, she could uh, sit there for a while. And Phlox is thinking she could do more. And so she does a mind meld. Now, when she first does it, the pain and horror and fear just hit her like a tidal wave. And it kind of makes it hard for her to center herself and 
keep those emotions down. But she does, and she pushes past the memories of him being staked and finds these other memories. And this, she sees the console flickering to life with controls, reading audio one and audio two and so on. And she, you know, and hearing Hoshi's voice in an empty room and things like that. And then she tries reaching out for him, but he, you know, calling out, but he doesn't answer. And so she decides to go back to the memories of Hoshi and find these memories of Hoshi where they fell in love. And that would be nicer memories for him to have. And so she comes, she breaks the contact and says, I helped him find better memories, but he's still lost. And Trip touches her cheek and notice that she's crying. That's that emotion that slammed into her. It made her have an emotional reaction before she could center herself. But, and she still kind of has to push those memories, you know, those uh, emotions down because they were so big. Um, but she explains, probably what she shouldn't have, but she says, Hoshi believes he is dead. She believes that because he told her goodbye. And Trip is like, but they weren't anywhere near each other. And she says, no, they weren't. And she does not tell Trip anymore. So she's kind of planted that little bug, but she's like, oh, I shouldn't have told it. So she talks to the, the doctor privately and gives him her thoughts that one or both of them are telepathic and she believes it's probably more Malcolm because of these dreams he's had um but she points out that you know they should keep it private because Malcolm probably wouldn't want anyone else knowing and Phlox nods because yeah he likely wouldn't now, Malcolm does start to wake up in the next scene, and the first things he asks when he sees, well, first off, he sees Radagast or something, um, so he's not seeing sickbay. He's seeing, you know, flashback. But Trip turns his face, and he sees Trip, and the first thing he asks is, where are we? And Trip is like, we're in sickbay, but that makes Malcolm mad, <laughs> because... That's not what he's asking. So he asks, where the ship? And he keeps, he's afraid of the answer. He's afraid he's going to hear, we're not there yet. And, but Tripp says, we haven't left. We're right where we were before the shuttle pod crashed. And he remembers the crash, but it doesn't make sense. So much time has passed. Still, uh, it wasn't the dreams, so the one from the past, and the, this the, he'd kept them from Hoshi. He didn't tell Hoshi about those dreams, and that reminds him, Hoshi! And so he, he says, barely, that he says, Hoshi, and Tripp says, she's here, we got her, she's okay. And Malcolm says, no, she's not, because she called out Malcolm in his mind, and then with a jolt, he saw through her eyes, and she was struggling to get up from the bed. And... Um, so he tells him, no, she's not. And then he says, help her because she's about, and then there's a crash. She falls because he saw for, through her eyes that she needed help. And then she falls. And so Trip goes over and helps her up. And then Phlox comes and helps her come over. And Trip goes over and gets his chair and brings it over to the other side of the bed for her to sit in. And then they're just lost to each other. You know, Phlox and Trip aren't there anymore. Sick Bay's not there anymore. And she says, you said goodbye. And he says, I thought I had died. I couldn't hear you anymore. And she's like, I must look terrible. And he says, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And they exchange I love yous, but 
he starts to fade again. Um, and that's, um, Phlox assures to, to uh, Hoshi that he just needs to rest. And he has the feelings of her hair, her face lightly touching his and her hair, her hair brushing his cheek as he goes out. Now, Trip steps back to give them more privacy, but he's just like, what just happened? They're not talking to each other. How did he know that she wasn't okay? How did he know she needed help? How did, how, how were, why weren't they, they, you'd think after not seeing each other for the better part of a year, they'd have a lot to say, but they don't speak. So, um, he kind of asked this of to Paul, but she's not going to say, she says, it's not for me to say. And then she's like, I should prepare a presentation to explain everything. And she, she leaves and Tripp knows she knows something else. She's got something else going on. She, she knows there's something going on, but, um, he goes up to the bridge and everybody kind of looks at him expectantly because they knew he was going to stay until Malcolm passed. And so he tells them he woke up. He even asked where the ship was. And so Travis absolutely cheers. Some of the others clap. I mean, it's good news. And Archer's like, that's great news, Trip. And they go into the ready room. And he's, you know, he puts this dilemma to, to Archer. Why didn't they speak? And um, Archer admits she loves him. She told her parents that the man she loved had died. She met Malcolm. She was grieving for him. That makes more sense now why she wouldn't talk to them, why she was so sad. Um, but they were on opposite sides of the planet. So how'd they fall, fall in love and why wouldn't they have a lot to talk about? And Archer's like, I don't get it either, but he must love her too. Uh, you know, he said save Hoshi in that message. That was important. Um, but he asked, and Tripp remembers that he asked about Hoshi twice when they rescued him, once in the sand and once in the ship. Um, so it was like, well, maybe it was when they were together at that beginning. And he's like, mm, maybe, um, but, uh, Archer realizes he has to call his parents again and he's not looking forward to it. He's actually thinking, maybe I should go talk to Malcolm instead. He's trying to put it off, but Malcolm is going back to sleep. So it's not a good time. And Archer is stuck with the parents and, uh, Trip is really tired because he's just spent all that time waiting for Malcolm to die or get better. And so Archer sends Trip off to sleep. Trip is well rested the next morning because he's sleeping better because his friend woke up and he gets a chance to, um, or let's see, no, not at that point yet. I don't want to, oh, he's there for the presentation, the explanation so Archer's there, T'Pol is there, and Trip is there. Of course, Flux is there. And they first um, admit that they have a lot to explain. And Malcolm is the one apparently going to talk, even though it's hard for him. And he asks, why did you leave us? And they, Archer first says, wait a minute, I want to talk about Moody. Did he die in the crash? And Hoshi lets him know. Or did he survive the crash? And Hoshi shakes her head. So that's answered. And um, they admit that they never left. It took them a while to realize what happened, but they never left. And then T'Pol explains everything with a pad that kind of, you know, puts it in a diagram. So, and, so they can see as they're hearing 
that they hit the chronoton pulse and they crashed in the past. And Malcolm looks like he's seen a ghost and he says, how? Then Trip explains the chronoton energy dissipated as you went. So the further you went from the point of the pulse, the further you went back in time. And, the, and after they realized that, that's when he realized it was Malcolm's voice and the message. And now they just look horror filled because they were angry then. And now Malcolm's like, oh, my God, I did this. And all he gets out is, I did. And Archer cuts him off saying, this is not your fault, Malcolm. That, you know, that call came when you were on the bridge. It was my fault, if anything. And, you know, Paul points out it's a paradox. And they just, you know, you can go around and around and around on it. And it still, it happened before they went down there. They were, the message already came. Um, it's It's definitely a paradox. So Hoshi puts back a message on the pad and just, why not rescue us as soon as you knew? And it makes sense now that, you know, from especially from Archer's point of view, but it's going to take a while to sink in with them. But they had to wait because they didn't want the same thing to happen to somebody else. And they had to find them. It had been a year now. Where were they? There wasn't even much evidence of the crash, right? So, um... Tripp says that he worked out the plan to go get them, get Malcolm out and destroy all the phys physical evidence in that lab, but Hoshi was harder to find. They knew she was separated, but not to where. And they realized what was going to happen to Malcolm. They knew they had to just go. So he says, Malcolm, it might make you feel a bit better to know he blew up about half of the lab. And Archer adds, we did the same in Bhutanis. Um, he's, he apologizes for not getting him getting them sooner because they almost lost them. They lost Moody for sure. Um, they decide to leave the pad if they have any more questions. And it is a lot to take in, Malcolm thinks. Um, they're trying to, you know, come to grips with this. They were angry and they had every right to be angry. And now they feel guilty for being angry. <laughs> it's like... <sighs> You know, how does it, 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 you can't just change those emotions on a dime, like flipping a switch. It's, they're kind of stuck. Um, and, and Malcolm then admits to Hoshi that he had these recurring dreams. So he kind of knew. Um, so maybe it was just, you know, subconscious because, you know, he didn't know that he could, you know, share thoughts and all that. And, you know, so maybe, and he's like, so does that mean I'm psychic too? And she's like, you know, but it wouldn't made it, it wouldn't have made any difference. It wouldn't, would it have been any different if we knew? And um, the next scene is a very short one. It's a trip scene and it's only a paragraph long, but it has my favorite, I guess it's my favorite phrase of the whole story because it's only part of a rather long complex sentence. Um and it is this, but the anger was gone, or at least muddled with the realization that there had been no hope when they had hoped, and only hope when they had none left. It's that last part. They had, there had been no hope when they had hoped, and only hope when they had none left. And that kind of encompasses part, you know, in some way, the whole story. At the beginning when they crashed, they had hope. There was no hope to have because the Enterprise was nowhere near where they are. 
So it was never going to be able to come then, but they hoped it would. And then as they got toward the end, they're closer to the present time. The Enterprise is there, so there is hope, but they had none left by then. So when he was going to die, Hoshi was going to die too. That's suicide was a logical decision for her because she had no hope that Enterprise was going to come even though he, he sent that message. They hadn't come for a year, you know. Why would they sit in this place for a year? They've gone, left them behind, so yeah. There's no future on Sharu for her. If there's no Malcolm, there's nothing to live for. So if he dies, she's going to go kill herself. It's Otherwise, she just stays being a slave and, you know, being a lab rat. It's just, that's not a future. So, it, you know, he realizes this. Um, it's a neat realization to give to Trip to realize because he's a very emotional guy and he's kind of an empathetic guy too and he's been through some stuff himself so he's able to get this that they had no hope when hope was there but when they hoped there was no hope i love that part that is my favorite part of this the favorite phrase of this story so he wonders how long it took for the hope to die and why he, hope, malcolm had just a little bit of it when he made the message that, you know, he had to have some hope to when he gave that message. But then we go to Hoshi and she's having just this tornado of emotions that some of them don't fit anymore. She still feels anger and betrayal, but she also feels relief and joy. And it's, you know, she wants to dance <laughs> because Malcolm's there. She doesn't want to die anymore, but of course she can't dance. She's got a broken leg and, and broken hip and, and he looks terrible, but he's alive. And so that, that's the most glorious thing she can see because he's alive. And she tries to sleep, but she has a nightmare flashback and he actually joins her there. He's probably a little bit um, conscious, like maybe he woke up a little bit. And he brings her to, in her dreams, to the deserts, the best he could do at the time. That was before everything happened really bad. Um, so th that, you know, she likes it there because he's here. And he said he'll stay as long as he can. Now we go back to Captain Archer just after he's had that conversation with Stuart and, Mar and Mary Reed. And, uh, yeah, they're even kind of angry that, you know, their wishes hadn't been followed and he has to tell them they did remove him from life support. He just didn't die. Still kind of ambiguous, but kind of leaning a little, Ugh. these people. Um, he maybe thinks he sees a flicker of relief in Mrs. Reed's face, but nothing from Stuart. And then, you know, they don't want to talk to him still. It won't be necessary. They'll just inform her, her his sister, good day. <laughs> And he wonders if the Elder Reeds ever cared for Malcolm at all. Or if they cared for him. Then we have Trip back the next morning. He does his duties until lunchtime. He goes to see Trip. 
and Hoshi's not there. And he thinks, this is a good time to ask about that. So he asks Tri uh, Malcolm about what went on when they weren't talking. And, you know, there's hints here. He gives them the hints. And so Malcolm tells him when they, you know, in, in few words, but, you know, he has to do it in his phrases and stuff because it's not easy to talk. His chest hurts and he has to push air out to have voice. Um, so he says, they cut my head. And after that, he thought, Hoshi, I'm glad you're not here. And she answered. And Tripp's like, you cut, they cut your head open and now you can communicate by thinking? And Malcolm admits he thought he was crazy, but it was better than being alone. Um, and the trip puts it together and goes, oh my God, that's how you could speak all those languages because Hoshi was feeding. Um, and he asks, I like this part, can you do that with anyone? And Malcolm shakes his head. He said, how do you know? Have you tried? And Malcolm says, easier than talking. Of course it's easier than talking. You only have to think. He doesn't have to push air through his vocal cords to think. <laughs> so if it had worked with Trip, he would have used it. <laughs> um, so Trip asked one more thing. He asked about the dead guy in the room. And Malcolm sadly says Beju. And that Beju was his friend. And Trip says he's glad that Malcolm had one. You know, that Beju cared enough to commit treason and be killed for it. To help Malcolm. And he says he's been reading the Lord of the Rings and seemed fitting and he was hoping he could hear it and Malcolm shakes his head. He hadn't, but he says you can read. And then there's um, a Malcolm scene. As he's listening to the story of the Lord of the Rings, it's helping him because he has this uneasiness of place. While the, you know, sick bay is a familiar place and a place where he can heal. It's also very, in some ways, like where he was. And so it has some of the same sounds. It's still kind of a lab. It's a place where surgeries happen. <laughs> so it is not a fun place to be right now. It kind of sits on the edge of the trauma. But he holds on to that story to try to push that feeling down. And um, you know that, you know, trip. Uh, you know, he's glad that while Hoshi was taking a shower, she kind of shared that with him. I don't want to think anything like she looked down at her boobs and all that stuff, you know, as any sexual, but just the, the luxury of having a warm shower. They hadn't had a shower in a year. <laughs> so the luxury of warm water shower. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and soft towels. Oh. The, you know, just these little things that they didn't, I mean, they were deprived of for so long. Um, but Tripp's voice is running out, so, but Hoshi says that she'll take it and she'll read. And he, Malcolm figures Tripp realizes she's not going to read it out loud. <laughs> she's going to read it in her head. Um, and then Hoshi's like, you told him? And he's like, he guessed. We were too obvious. And she asked if, if Tripp could hear him. And he said, nope. This is a secure channel. And then to Paul, it's the next scene to Paul has been feeding him because she's the person who would show no pity whatsoever in her actions or her face as she fed him. And he wouldn't like being fed. So, you know, just having this, you know, unemotional person doing it, you know, made it a little easier. Um, 
he's practicing holding forks and, and knives and all that with his two fingers that work. These are not the ones where his thumbs are. These are the pinky and the ring finger, just so you know. <laughs> I kind of looked at um, which uh, nerves went where, and then that nerve would have taken out the middle finger, index finger, and thumb. So, yeah, he can only move those two fingers. That's not very useful, So he, but he, you know, it's trying to learn so he can eventually feed himself. And when he has the cup, he needs to hold it with two hands. He can't wrap all his fingers on it. He can't use his opposable thumbs. So, yeah, he's he's not well. <laughs> he may be alive, but he's not well. Um, and she, he hasn't asked about the mind meld or anything yet. So she brings it up. And he realizes that, you know, she knows. Well, first thing is, he, you know, he first asks, who have you told? Because he figures she probably knows. And she says she only told Phlox. And she tells him kind of what she did in his mind, you know, just sifting memories and finding him better ones. And um, But she did see things like, you know, we're not there yet, Malcolm. And Reed admits that was infuriating. And someone always saying that phrase. And, um, you know, she says that was when you pleaded for us to come and rescue you both. And he said, I, I didn't know. He didn't know he was out of time. Even though these dreams were telling him the whole time, they were telling him he was in the past. But he didn't know how to interpret it. He didn't have enough data. Now he has the data and he can go, oh my God, that, those dreams were telling me. But he didn't know. And she says, no, not on a conscious level, but she does believe the captain should be informed of the telepathy. The dreams, yeah, they don't really matter now, but maybe, you know, he should trust his gut, as Tripp says, more often. Um, but she, under, you know, she, she just lets him, you know, she's like, okay, well, we're done. She, she gathers up the dishes and she lets him get back to his, his discussions with Hoji. Then we move to one week after um, he had awakened. Hoshi is leaving. She's being released to her quarters. So she's well enough to get out of sickbay, which they both really want to do. But she doesn't want to leave him there um, so because he's not going to enjoy it. He's, you know, she knows what he's suffering because he, he feels the same way she does. But he tells her to go. And then one of us will at least be out and she can share it with him. So Trip helps her, escorts her, because, you know, she's still got that broken hip. And um, she wants to stop first at Malcolm's uh, quarters because she wants to share that with him, his quarters. So she's able to see his quarters, so he's able to see his quarters. And seeing that they're just exactly like he left them is surreal. Because in their experience, they've been gone for so long. But in the room's experience, it's only been a week or two. It's weird. Um, and she thinks it's going to be weird for her, too. And Trip tries to help. It's like, you know, maybe it'll get better each day that nothing changes. You know, it's not going to suddenly, you know, undo on you. But... Um, you know, Malcolm agrees. Maybe maybe that's true. But he tells her to go. Go on to her quarters and do that for herself. And she does. And at first she does feel this 
incongruity and the surrealness because there's two of her. One of her was in the expanse looking for the Zendi while she was crashing on this planet. So the original was in, was in the expanse. The copy of her crashed. And so she feels like she's a copy of herself. But she realizes the original's not coming back. So this is my quarters. And besides, the copy realizes she loves Malcolm. The original may never have realized that. So there's that benefit is not worth trading back. So we finally ended the chapter on a beautiful note, <laughs> a lovely romantic note, um, not a death, death, death note. <laughs> um, so now we're ready for chapter 30. It is much shorter. I know that. Um, I hope you'll like it. Um, of course, the tweet is at inhiobi and the email is inhiobi at gmail.com. That's E, no, excuse me, I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. -E so I would love to hear from you. We are almost there. <laughs>